episode 14, Box Score Sports. I'm your host, Brad Betke. I know you haven't heard my voice in a while, but don't worry, I'm here. Box Score Sports is back. 20 is when it changed, I turned conscious. Had to proceed with some caution as an artist, but really a novelist facing tribulation from consequence. Never had an issue with confidence, cause I'm confident, and that's common sense. I'm craving for more hunky inside of me, but my stomach is bottomless. Who's saying that mellow ain't the goat? Get him out of here. Say my name in vain three times, and I just might appear. Now I didn't walk through the valley, I think I'm out of fear. I can't be afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome back. Damn, it feels good to be back on the show. Before I jump into anything sports related, because we've been gone for so long, I wanted to answer some questions I feel you guys might have right off the bat. So let's start with what happened. Personally, there's really no explanation. Alex and I got way too caught up in our personal lives, whether it be jobs or school and other things. And frankly, we just forgot about box score. I can tell you now that that's no longer the case. I've prioritized box score to be a part of my week and my month regardless. I had some really good heart-to-heart conversations with the people I keep close to me, and they helped me realize there was no true reason as to why I wasn't doing more box score episodes. So here we are with that. Where'd we go? First things first, I moved down to Florida. It was a big and kind of spontaneous move for me, but I realized there was really nothing going for me in Michigan, And at the same time, there was nothing holding me back. The world was out there waiting for me. It was a matter of whether or not I chose to attack it. Good thing about moving to Florida is I kind of found a new version of myself. I've been able to stop setting expectations when I wake up every day. Because I came to find that by setting expectations, you limit yourself to what those expectations were. Whereas if you wake up with no expectations ready to do anything and everything, the sky is the limit as to what might happen and what opportunities might present themselves to you. You know, dropping a little wisdom here on the Box Score Podcast. And lastly, what's next? I really don't know. As I just said, the sky is the limit. I don't have any set limitations. I don't have any set goals. Whatever happens, happens. And whatever opportunities present themselves, present themselves. And that's just the way it is. And I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Now, before we jump into anything sports-related, there's something I just briefly wanted to touch on. You're only going to be hearing my voice for a majority of the episodes, and that's just because with Alex's new job, he doesn't have the ability to make the full-time commitment to box score sports that we would love him to. And that's okay. It happens. I also want to extend the offer out to you guys. If anybody wants to join the show for a segment from here to there, please don't hesitate to reach out. I want to make it happen and add more versatility to the show. I'd love to have you guys on here. Enough with the intro. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Super Bowl 56 in the books. After this weekend's victory, the Los Angeles Rams are now two-time Super Bowl champions. Led by ex-Detroit Lion Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl MVP Cooper Cup, and the beast himself Aaron Donald. Man, I have to say, this was a really good football game to watch. It was entertaining. I loved every minute of it. Offense, defense, there was plenty of both, even special teams, and I'll get into that in just a moment. First things first, I want to commemorate a few players that I feel deserved this ring. Y'all know who I'm starting with. Matthew Stafford, this guy, 
has been through so much in the city of Detroit. For over a decade, he's been dealing with some of the worst ownership, coaching, management, and teams in league history. For him to come out here to L.A. in his first season with the team and win a Super Bowl, he's that guy. Y'all got to understand, he now has the same amount of Super Bowl rings as Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and other quarterbacks, I'm sure. Those are the first that came to mind. That's a big deal. He's been playing legendary football for most of his career. He's one of only a group of quarterbacks to have 5,000-yard seasons. His fourth-quarter comebacks, man, he's a GOAT, and he did it again this game. Now, before I get into anybody else, I know a lot of people are going to say the referees blew the game. I do not abide to blaming officiating for games because the way I see it, the Bengals did not play well in the first half. If they would have played better in the first half, they would not have put themselves in a situation where one bad call by a ref or two bad calls by a ref would have decided the game. So I'm going to start right there and cut you guys off. Nobody's going to be blaming the refs on my show or talking to me about the refs because it is 60 minutes of football. We are not going to talk about what happened in two minutes of a game when there's still 58 other minutes that could have been prevented from winning and losing. That's just the way I feel about that, and I'm going to nip it in the butt right now. Next on my list, Odell Beckham Jr. Now, I know he's not the most likable player in the football league. I've always liked him because he has that personality to him. He gives off that aura. He's not cocky, but he's confident. He's He knows he's good, but he doesn't spray it and pray it everywhere. Odell has worked really hard in his career. If you pay close attention to what he had to go through in Cleveland, he did not deserve that, man. Baker Mayfield did not utilize Odell properly and the rest of the Browns organization at that. I think this season and the first half of this game shows how Odell truly could be utilized. And he proved it. He deserved this ring. He really did. Next on that list, Aaron Donald, man. He is one of the greatest defensive players this game has ever seen. You look at his resume, it speaks for itself. I don't even have to say anything because everybody that knows football knows who Aaron Donald is and how good at football he is. Somebody like him, this ring just adds to his resume. It adds to show how great of a football player he is. And I love it because he plays the position I used to play. So seeing somebody like him get the stage and the attention that he gets, I love it. I feed off of it. And I'm so happy for the guy. Now on the other side of the ball here, the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow, man, what a guy. Joe Burr, Joe Shiesty. Personally, I think he played a pretty goddamn good game for a second-year player. Not too often do you see somebody in their second season come back from a torn ACL and take a team that went 2-14 the year he got drafted to the Super Bowl. Let's talk about that real quick. The year Joe Burrow got drafted, the team was 2-14. Two, two years later, starting quarterback, comeback season from the ACL tear, goes to the Super Bowl. That's insane. That's why he won comeback player of the year. He deserved it. The rest of the team, some of them played well. Personally, T. Higgins, one of his best games ever. 
Jamar Chase, he played really well too. He was dusting Jalen Ramsey more than you could see it. Just because he wasn't getting the ball does not mean he was not open. Personally, if you take the two injured offensive linemen on the Cincinnati Bengals and put them back, the Bengals win that game. Because I don't know if y'all watched the last play of the game closely when Aaron Donald got the sack, but Jamar Chase was wide open down the right side of the field. Jalen Ramsey fell Lost the coverage. Jamar Chase was gone. He was wide open. And I know Joe Burrow saw him. You give him one more second in the pocket on that play, game over. Bengals win it. That's my opinion. The run game versus the passing game in the Super Bowl was so far from the other. I don't know what happened to the game to where, especially the Rams, they could not run the ball for nothing. It seemed like every carry was one, two, three yards, nothing more. Now, the Bengals, they had a little more luck with their run game. Joe Mixon, 15 carries, 75 yards, 4.8 yards averaged. But you take away about three or four, five, ten-yard runs, he has a bad game too. The defensive line in this game and the run-stop defense showed up. And I love it. It's good to see a hard, gritty football game. Now, the passing, yes, there wasn't many passing yards, but the passing is one of the more important things in this game next to defense. I think defense was the most important aspect of this football game. But right next to it was the passing game. You look at the clutch throws. I know there's a video that's going viral about Matthew Stafford and his no-look throw across the field to Cooper Cup. First of all, I just want to address, he's been doing that his whole career, but because he was in Detroit, he never got the attention for it. That's just that. Anyway, that's a great pass. Joe Burrow made some great passes. That bomb he threw down the right side of the field to Jamar Chase. That 75-yard touchdown he threw down the left side of the field to T. Higgins. And a lot of really clutch plays he made in between. It was a good football game. I do have a question for you, though. Personally, I feel like special teams had a big impact on the outcome of this game. Do you agree? You think about how many times the teams punted the ball and field goals that were kicked and kickoff field placement. How much do you think it had an impact on the outcome of the game? I think people don't understand how important special teams are to football teams. You look at teams like the Green Bay Packers. Overall, And all around, they're a pretty good football team. They have been for years. But the one department that they've always been lacking in? Special teams. And look at where they aren't. The Super Bowl. They haven't been in years because special teams has a big impact on the game. That's just my opinion. Last thing to touch on with the Super Bowl, the halftime show. I'm just going to briefly touch on this because I know not everybody was a fan. But if you're me and you love the music that I love... That show was incredible. Every second of it was entertaining. I loved it. It was electrifying. It had all these artists that I love as I'm sitting right next to a vinyl album of Dr. Dre the Chronic. It was great to see how they meshed some of those artists. Obviously, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg have good chemistry as they were in Death Row Records together and have been working together for years. But then you look at artists like Mary J. Blige, 50 Cent, Kendrick Lamar... You don't really think of them when you think of Dr. Dre and Eminem and Snoop Dogg. But they made it work and made it really entertaining, and I loved every minute of it. That's all I got to say about that. On another note, 
I'm not sure how many people knew this, but the broadcaster Al Michaels, he was the one broadcasting the game on NBC with Chris Collinsworth. That was his last game broadcasting. Now, if you're anybody like me, I went to school for broadcasting. It's what I want to do. It's why I do these podcasts. Seeing somebody as legendary as Al Michaels, who's been doing his job for years and doing it damn well at that, to see him go, it sucks. It breaks my heart because the man is good at what he does and that's why he was doing it for so long. But at the same time, I want to congratulate him and a long, successful career. That man knew the definition of entertainment. What a lot of people fail to realize is when you're watching these sporting games, no matter what league it is, NFL, NHL, NBA, the announcers are half of the experience. The voice you hear, they create the emotion. They create the excitement, the attention to the game. People like Tony Romo, the way he can break down a play on the football screen in a matter of seconds is one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen in sports. Broadcasters are a huge part of why we enjoy watching games. And I just want to shout out to Al Michaels for a legendary career. And I hope he has a great retirement and we'll miss seeing him on the big screen. It was a great way, great way for him to go out on the biggest stage in football. Next up, jumping into the NBA. A lot of big trades that happened over the last couple of weeks. The biggest probably being James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm very curious to see how that works out because I know in the past years when he was on the Houston Rockets, he had been in touch with his owners and his coaches to try and get their hands on Joel Embiid. So clearly there was something about Embiid's game that he liked and hopefully that Embiid liked about his game as well. That should be really interesting to see how they mesh together. At the same time, Ben Simmons and Seth Curry to the Nets as that part of that trade. Ben Simmons... I don't know about him. It's hard to tell because he's been so inconsistent in some categories, but at the same time, he's a great defensive player and a great playmaker. So I'm curious to see how he'll fit in with Kevin Durant and Kyrie in Brooklyn. Another big trade is DeMontis Sabonis to the Sacramento Kings. He's one of the better big men in basketball. So it's interesting to see him leave the team he's on and go to the Sacramento Kings, a team that's lacking in that department, frankly. I think he'll pair well with Rashawn Holmes. And although the Kings did lose Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, who, to me, were really big parts of their team, they still have De'Aaron Fox and Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes. And hopefully, Sabonis meshes well. And so far from what I've seen, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that since this trade, the Kings are undefeated. It's good to see that because they were not doing well. Halliburton to the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton. He's a second, I think third year player on the Kings who got traded to the Pacers. And I know there was a video that surfaced that showed Halliburton really was emotional because he loved the city of Sacramento. He loved the Kings. They drafted him. He was a contender for rookie of the year his first season. And he's been really gritty and hardworking ever since. So it sucks to see a guy like that go through that emotion. But at the same time, I have high hopes for him in Indiana working with players like Miles Turner, who's a really good center, and Malcolm Brogdon, who's shown he can be a good guard as well. It should be interesting to see how that meshes. The last trade I want to talk about today is Karis LeVert to the Cavaliers. I think it should be interesting because we saw Karis LeVert 
peak and kind of show some sense of stardom when he was in Brooklyn. That was kind of where he really became who he is. Now he's on a team with a lot of young talent. You look at their guards, they have Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, even though Colin Sexton is out right now with a ACL or some kind of knee injury. I don't remember exactly what it is. Uh, but Darius Garland's really good, and Sexton has shown that he's good as well. And then you got Lavert at the three or the two, depending on how they set the lineup. And then you got Kevin Love is still there. He's a little older, but he's still there. Uh, Jared Allen is center. And then you got Evan Mobley, who's arguably the best rookie in the NBA right now next to Cade Cunningham. It's some of the most entertaining basketball I've seen a player like him play. And if I'm being honest, being from Detroit and being a Pistons fan, I was okay with either Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley. So it's good to see that Mobley is succeeding in Cleveland, knowing that that was another player that I would have been willing to take in Detroit. Now, Despite all of these trades, I'm not quite ready to say that Philly and the Nets are now at the top of the East. I'm just not ready to do that. Because you look at what happened with the Nets when Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant were there. Everybody in the world said that they were going to win all these championships. Not me. I knew it wasn't going to work. There was too much personality, too many egos floating around. It would have never worked. And I'm glad I was right. Again. So, I'm not quite ready to say that Philly deserves to be at the top of their division and the Nets with the situation with Kyrie and his vaccination and Kevin Durant and his MCL tear and there's been so much inconsistency with that team it's hard to give them any credit so at this point with Philly and the Nets all I can say is I'll believe it when I see it leave it at that I still think that the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks are at the top of the east and on the west you got the Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, there's a lot of good basketball being played here, folks. And there's a lot of good games left in the season. I cannot wait for playoffs and what's to come. Now, the last thing I want to touch on here before I cut this episode down is the state of Detroit sports. Now, being a native of Detroit, I watch the Detroit teams a little bit harder than I watch any other city. Starting with the Lions. I personally think that as a team in the rebuild stage was one of the best seasons they could have had. You look at the signings they made in the offseason with coaching and staffing, Dan Campbell and uh, Anthony Lynn at offensive coordinator, even though that one didn't work out too well. Aaron Glenn, former defensive back coach in New Orleans, now the defensive coordinator of Detroit. And then Brad Holmes as the GM and a bunch of other smaller signings as well. I think that it meshed really well. And people like Dan Campbell, they did the right thing in their first year here. Personally, step one to a rebuild in a city as a new coach is to establish a good relationship with the coaching staff, the ownership, and the players. And that's exactly what he did. The Detroit Lions absolutely love Dan Campbell. Whether it be the ownership, the Fords, I know... I don't remember Martha's daughter's name, the current owner, but she loves him. And a lot of the players have stated how much they love playing for Dan Campbell. He brings such an energy and a relatable feel to these players, as he is an ex-Lion. You look at the rookies they had this year that had an impact. Panay Sewell, the tackle out of Oregon. That is a feisty football player, man. I love watching that kid. He's a very humble player who admits to his rights and wrongs, but at the same time, knows that he belongs on that field and proves it. You can see the improvement game by game that he's paying attention to what he needs to work on and so on and so forth. 
On the same side of the offense, Amon Ra St. Brown, wide receiver out of USC. I knew from the jump this guy was going to be talented. He wasn't being utilized properly for a portion of the season, but at the end of the year, he showed he belonged as a starter on that team and ended up being one of the top rookies in the football league. Just to think about what he would have done if he was targeted that way at the end of the season for the whole season. He probably would have been up there with Jamar Chaser somewhere below him. I mean, if you look at the statistics, he was already on pace to get there. It was a really entertaining year for the Lions. Even though they only won three games, you look at the bigger picture and what could come to be, I think it was very beneficial for the Lions' future. You also look at second-year players like DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. They're getting better every day. You take away their injuries, they stay healthy, man. Those are some dangerous players. Hopefully with these two picks in the first round in this coming season, this coming draft, and then the second pick in the second round and two more picks in the third round, they can draft some real studs. And they also have a lot of cap space. Hopefully they utilize that to go out and get young, hungry players who are ready to work to win. That's all they need in Detroit. Next up, the Detroit Pistons. Now, they're not doing too hot record-wise, but you look at the team. Cade Cunningham, first-year player. Killian Hayes, third-year player. Saban Lee, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, second-year players. This team is one of the youngest teams in basketball, man. I think the oldest player on the starting lineup is Jeremy Grant, and I'm pretty sure he's 29. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. So to think that they don't even have one 30-year-old player on their starting lineup, they got to be one of the youngest rosters in basketball. But it's really exciting. Cade Cunningham already has multiple triple-doubles on his first season. Isaiah Stewart has solidified himself as one of the toughest players on the team. Killian Hayes, he's still struggling on offense a little bit, but he's a great playmaker. He sees the open player on the court almost every time. Sadiq Bey, he has shown some serious consistency. He's going to be a really good Detroit Piston. And then Saban Lee, although he's coming off the bench while Cade was hurt these last couple of games, he showed that he still has what it takes to be a starter in this league. This team is really entertaining. Obviously, they went out and got that trade. It was a six-team trade. The Pistons got Marvin Bagley from the Kings. He showed a lot of potential when he was playing at Duke. And I think that speaks on how well he could play. Hopefully surrounding him with other young players and a good organization and coaching that he can shine under the right light. Looking at the Tigers... They're doing pretty well, too. You got young players like Akil Badu had a great year. And just got Javier Baez over from the New York Mets. Now, I don't know too much about the status of the Tigers, so I'm only going to touch briefly on it. But I know that they're also on the right pace. Casey Mize, he's a great pitcher, and he's hungry. That man is hungry and wants to win in Detroit. I love it. Lastly, the Detroit Red Wings. I personally think that out of all four teams, they are in the best position right now. You got young rookies like Maurice Sider and Lucas Raymond who are going crazy. They are both contenders for the Calder Trophy, which in hockey is the Rookie of the Year trophy. I mean, Stevie Y is going crazy. He's doing a great job since he became GM of the Red Wings coming back home to Detroit. You got people like Larkin having one of his best seasons. Bertuzzi has been a bit of a disappointment, but we know what he's capable of, so I'm not too worried about it. 
And then they just got last year's Rookie of the Year, Alex Nedeljkovic, the goalie. He hasn't had the greatest season, but we also know what he's capable of, so I'm not too worried about it. It's an exciting thing to see as a Detroit fan that all of these teams are in the right progression. They're taking the right steps towards what could come to be in their future. I mean, you really look at it, you break it all down, and you think closely. These teams all have the potential to be at the top of each of their leagues around the same time. They're all in the similar status of the rebuild area. So I can say as a genuine Detroit sports fan, as much as I am a fan of sports in general, I will always be a Detroit sports fan. It is really heartwarming to see that they're finally all starting to get it. They're starting to pick up on it. And it's understanding more and more of what could come to be. And I wish a lot more Detroit fans would see that. Some do, some don't. That's just the way it is. You got to be open-minded and have the ability to look at the big picture in the future rather than right now. Other than that, folks, I mean, it's a pretty short episode this week. I wanted to get back into the groove of things. Make sure you guys are just as comfortable as I am with the one-man show. I can say that some episodes in the future will be longer. I just wanted to kind of solidify this first episode. Get it in there. Get it done. And kind of go from there. Now, please do not hesitate to reach out if you feel like there's anything that I should add to my show. I'm totally open to hear from you guys. The feedback I get from our listeners is why I keep doing this. I have gotten so much good feedback about BoxScore from family, friends, friends of friends, people I've never met telling me, dude, your show is dope. I love it. And that's what made me jump back into it. So hopefully you guys have some good stuff for me. I want you to reach out to me whenever you feel like you can. And let's talk. Let's figure out what I can add to my show, what I can be more versatile about. I'm working on putting together a link tree so that all of the social medias for Box Score Sports are in the same place. And all you have to do is click one link and you can open up a podcast episode, our Instagram, our Twitter, our newly made TikTok, and even our email so that you can reach us all in the same place. Other than that, folks, that's about it. Short little 25, 26-minute episode. I love it. Stay tuned. Episodes coming out weekly. Peace out. 20 is when it changed. I turned conscious. Had to proceed with some caution as an artist, but really a novelist facing tribulation from consequence. Never had an issue with confidence because I'm confident and that's common sense. I'm craving for more hunky inside of me, but my stomach is bottomless. Who's saying that mellow ain't the goat? Get him out of here. Say my name in vain three times and I just might appear. Now I didn't walk through the valley. I think I'm out of fear. I can't be afraid. I try to leave.